Hello everyone and welcome to Friend Diagram. This is the podcast where two friends catch up and find common ground between their favorite media. I'm Remy. I'm Kat. And in celebration of one year of podcasting, we will be discussing our top five niche wheelhouses. Warning, spoilers ahead. Hi, Kat. Happy one year. Happy one year, Remy. How are you today? I'm great. I'm just thinking about what my life would be like if I was 11 miles long and weighed nearly 600 pounds. (laughs) (laughs) It would be very different than uh, you'd be extremely tall. I know, very much so. But I feel like Christopher Nolan would give me more attention if this were the case, don't you think? (laughs) Isn't that really my ultimate goal? <laughs> Only if you're also in an IMAX theater. Oh, always. He definitely I'll, wants I'll to see live in the IMAX theater. <laughs> oh, would you be God. extremely thin, too? <laughs> yes. Would you be? I would. Would you be rolled up, or? I'd be rolled up, but thin. <laughs> a thin, thin roll. <laughs> we could not let you near children. <laughs> no, no. I'm definitely a fire hazard. <laughs> I'm sorry, too. I'm sorry to make you aware I'm a fire hazard. <laughs> Put you oh in the flammable cabinet. Yes, thank you. <laughs> That's where I belong. I got my tickets for Oppenheimer, <laughs> in case you couldn't guess. That's amazing. Yes, you said that they were selling out really quickly. Oh my god, they're selling out like hotcakes out here. Um, it's still two weeks away, and there wasn't like a limited release option, so mm-hmm. it's the proper... July 21st release weekend. One week away, right? Yeah, one week from now. One week. Oh, so excited. It's finally almost here. Mm -hmm. And so earlier this week, I was like, man, I should probably think about getting some tickets because I don't know how competitive it's going to get at the AMC. Mm -hmm. And I looked at the tickets and I had three options of viewing experiences. The first one was IMAX, of course. Um, the second choice was in the Dolby room, which mm-hmm. is the extra loud, like Dolby sound mm-hmm. special room, obviously. And the third option was normal size, but on 70 millimeter film. Mm-hmm. And do you want to guess which option I selected? Uh, I mean, if you're a, uh, a Nolan purist, you probably selected the IMAX. <laughs> Yes, well, I'm a Remy purist, and I went with 70 millimeter. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know what, I just, I don't really go for an IMAX experience unless it's absolutely necessary, Mm -hmm. A, because it's wicked expensive. (laughs) Oh, I've never been to an IMAX theater. It's definitely way more expensive than a normal ticket. Um, The Dolby Room, look, I'm kind of really sensitive to loud noises, and... I think at the like, normal not level, that one. <laughs> this is going to be insanely loud. Yeah. So I went with 70 millimeter because it's going to have better visual detail. And nice. that's what I'm really there for. So, yeah. Love it. I, uh, I'm going to be watching Oppenheimer at 1130 in the morning mm-hmm. on Saturday. <laughs> Are you going to see and Barbie same weekend? Yes. I'm going to see Barbie on Saturday. Sorry, on Sunday uh-huh. at... 
10.45 in the morning. So Barbie's nice. going to be my movie church for this weekend. So Very it's cool. going to be great. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. While you were talking, I was thinking about the Barbie meme format. And I was like, this Barbie is 11 miles long and 6,000 <laughs> pounds. If only. <laughs> oh, man. Amazing. Yeah. Big week for movies. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm very excited. I hope we make it to the theater. Um, I have a trip planned out to the East Coast coming up here next Tuesday in like four days. So hopefully I will make it to the theater to see both of these films while I'm out in on the East Coast. I hope so, too, if for no other reason than, like, we can get really in-depth in them on the pod. Yeah. Yeah. I think that um, Scott will really like Oppenheimer. He's Uh, big into history. He's, like, a big history buff. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, And also, like, scientific ethics, Mm -hmm. I think, is something you're both really interested in. So I'm sure that will be quite appealing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so excited. <clears throat> Bilga Ibiri tweeted about um, Oppenheimer being mm-hmm. outstanding, and that made me extra excited. Amazing. So I can't wait. And I'm really interested to see what Barbie has in store. I think it's going to be really unique, and I can't wait to see where things go. Yeah, I really have enjoyed Greta Gerwig's films in the past, so Same. I'm really looking forward to um, seeing how this one turns out. Little Women was one of my favorite films that I've seen in, like, the last five years or something, so. Yeah, you loved that. I I did. I went and saw it twice. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was great. It was great. Yeah. And uh, I'm usually not a fan of, like, classics and, you know, mm-hmm. but that one was really good. I think Lady Bird is probably my favorite of hers. Mm, I didn't get around to seeing that one, but you it's been on it my out. list for a really long time. Yeah, that's a good time. I definitely trust her at the helm. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it will be very interesting. And uh, I've really enjoyed Ryan Gosling on the press junket. Mm. So, yeah, I think it'll be great. So what are we doing today? We are going to be talking about our top five wheelhouses. And if you're not familiar with the term wheelhouse. It's a term that I actually got from a a podcast that I listened to called Reading Glasses. And a couple years ago, they went through their top five book wheelhouses. And it's just like the concepts or genres that you're repeatedly drawn to. So it's usually for me something I conceptualize as like an instant yes as something I would like to consume or like if someone's recommending it to me, this is a buzzword that will catch my interest. So I'm really, really excited about this. Yeah, that's a great description. But just for clarity, we're doing all media wheelhouses. Yes. It doesn't have to be books, but yes, it can certainly include books. <laughs> yes. Let's see. I guess we should have determined an order. Do you know what order we're meant to be going in? I probably doesn't matter. No, we should just start flipping a coin. And yeah. Just deciding that way. True. Hold on. I'm sure that I could just make Google do this. Yeah, you can. Okay, call it. Heads. You won? Oh, I'll go first, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, awesome. Love it. Thanks, Google Coin Flip. <laughs> <laughs> it was on your side the whole time. Oh, they're really excited to hear about my number five media wheelhouse, which I have 
this is probably a term other people use, but it's just the term that naturally came to mind. Mm-hmm. I'm calling it slow sci-fi. Oh, okay. And to me, this is <clears throat> science fiction that is more on the side of introspection, perhaps even meditation, a very thoughtful approach to sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Not the type of sci-fi that is, you know, blockbuster pace mm-hmm. or violence-based, but more like thoughts about how science fiction and ideas about the future can be a reflection of how humanity is at the moment. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so some examples of this are the Claire Denis film High Life that I've covered Uh. on the film. That's like a very deliberate pace, Mm -hmm. really makes you think, really gives you time to think about what you're looking at and what it means about human nature. I think that's a prime example of what I mean when I say slow sci-fi. Yeah. Another good example is the limited series Debs, which I bring up all the time. (laughs) Yeah. I need to watch that. <laughs> it's a great watch. That's an, an Alex Garland joint. Um, mm-hmm. I know you know Kat, but mm-hmm. I mean, Alex Garland, he's... Uh, well, another great example is Ex Machina. I know, I, I was consider just that slow that. sci-fi as well. Mm-hmm. I think that definitely fits in this wheelhouse. As does 2001 The Space Odyssey, perhaps the inventor yeah. <laughs> of this genre. You have tons of time to think about... What's going on when you're watching all those models moving around in space? (laughs) And the light show. It's good stuff. (laughs) And I'm going to also count Sirens of Titan, the Kurt Vonnegut book. That was the first Kurt book I ever read and heartily enjoyed it. And I think it's a really thoughtful piece on humans, like human unreliability and time Mm -hmm. and ecosystems and a lot of great stuff. So I'm putting that in here as well. I love a good slow sci-fi and how it makes you think about what what humanity's up to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a great pick. Yeah, staying in the sci-fi vein, my number five pick is wholesome sci-fi with lovable, oh, quirky characters. That's so funny. Especially robots or androids. Yeah. Um, or aliens. So... <laughs> I wonder I'm what you'll talk about. Putting a little spoiler in here um, for my favorite character from Project Hail Mary, who is Rocky. Woo! I like that. That's the best part of that book. Um, absolutely love it. Highly recommend that book if you love books about friendship and also space. Amazing. Yeah. Speaking of Ryan Gosling, <laughs> I know. Wonderful. Can't wait for the film to come out. Yeah. God, I'm on the edge of my seat. Um, <laughs> but also, I, I I mean, I have on here some of the first examples that I encountered of this was when I watched Star Wars, which I would classify more mm-hmm. as a fantasy film. But um, I really loved R2-D2, C-3PO, sure, BB-8. Sure. Like, I'm a big, big android fan mm-hmm. um i also grew up watching the film short circuit which is like an old <laughs> film from the 80s yeah, i know that one um and i just like loved the robot in that um more recently i read the monk and robot duology which mm-hmm. was by um becky chambers but the monk and robot duology follows a monk and this 
robot that they encounter. <laughs> no um, way. In the wilderness. And <laughs> the robot is Mosscap. His name is Mosscap, or their mm-hmm. name is Mosscap. And um, I just really love all of Mosscap's like interactions with humans, which he's never encountered before. Mm-hmm. And the way that you see a contrast between how each of the characters kind of views human robot relationships and um, sentience and things like that. So this would also fit into that like slow sci-fi category, but it's very um, like it has almost no plot. Uh, So it's just kind of like a fun short read Uh that is just kind of like um, musing on different things, kind of more philosophical in nature, which I really enjoyed. And then my last example for this category is E.T., which is one of my (laughs) favorite movies. That's a great example. That movie makes me cry every time I watch it. I just like, I just love it. And I want an alien friend that lives in my closet. And it would just be wonderful. Yeah, that's a great shout. Yeah. I love how our picks always somehow line up when we're doing top fives. It's kind of amazing. (laughs) Just for the listener, we never disclose Mm -hmm. what our top fives are going to be to each other until we're live on air. Yeah. (laughs) So I love how that lined up. Mm -hmm. Do you want to hear my number four? I do. My number four media wheelhouse is a story within a story, a.k.a. meta narrative. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Um, So I guess in other words, I'm talking about multi-layered narrative frames within Mm -hmm. a single piece of media. So a prime example that I bring up all the time is the book House of Leaves Mm -hmm. by Mark Z. Danielewski, because this, that was probably one of the most early encounters I had with this type of storytelling because the meta narrative framing is so prominent in book form because you can see in text physically all of the different narratives that you're meant to be following. And I quite liked the way they all synthesized in that story and added to an indelible, unnerving tone for that book. And really quite enjoyed that. Another example of meta-narrative within a book format is the book S, Mm -hmm. uh, of which J.J. Abrams was a contributor. That was really nice as well. You get to read the book itself, which I quite enjoyed, but also follow the story between two readers uh, leaving notes to each other in the margins of the book, which is Mm -hmm. fun. Liked that a lot. But it doesn't even have to be that strict as like a text and then a super text. It could be Something like a book where you're talking about a a narrative story within the story. So The Pillow Man, for example, where you get a lot of those short stories interspersed within the drama of the play. Mm -hmm. Or The Stranger Diaries, where you Mm -hmm. get that classic, spooky, fall tale Mm -hmm. interspersed throughout the narrative. I love it. I love that part of that book. It's great. Yeah, It really adds something tonally and thematically. I love it. 
when people layer these things. It works great in a book, but it also works great in other pieces of media as well. So the film adaptation, where there's like so many layers where you're following the story of the orchid thief from the New Yorker article that mm-hmm. was turned into a novel that the screenwriter is reading and then writing a screenplay about, mm-hmm. and you're watching all of this take place, mm-hmm. and it's wonderful. I love how it it's a big intermingled discussion of storytelling and what it means to be original mm-hmm. <laughs> and those types of things and bucking convention. That's a great, a great play on that sort of uh, wheelhouse theme. And a great modern example of this that we've been talking about a lot, Lady, is Asteroid City, mm-hmm. where there's tons of framing devices within that film that point you in the direction of uh, understanding the emotional valence of the characters within a heavily layered meta narrative, which we discussed at length in episodes 51 and 52, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So check those out if you want to hear more about it. And my final example is that this is something that can be employed sporadically as well. So in the TV series Euphoria, Lexi's play within uh-huh. the oh, TV yeah. show is an amazing example of meta narrative because she's making a play about the lives of the characters that you're already watching in the show. And to watch a one character distill the essence of all of these characters into this narrative play is absolutely captivating and exciting and thrilling. And so I think this is a device that works excellently when deployed well. So I'm always open to uh, a bit of a meta narrative. I have one more example. Um, I don't know if it fits perfectly, but it kind of reminds me of like the interweaving of like a short story into a narrative. Um, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow does that with the video games that um, Sadie and Sam. Sam are designing. That's a great point. My book of the year of 2022. Mm -hmm. Great call, Kat. (laughs) The Strawberry Thief. The Strawberry Thief. Pioneers. Pioneers. I loved Pioneers. Pioneers I want to play that game so badly. I know. I thought if you right away, I was reading, I was like, Kat would love Pioneers. (laughs) Yeah, I would. Um, Amazing. Yeah. So yeah, meta narrative. That's my number four. My number four. I'm sticking with the sci-fi theme. So... My number four is sci-fi creations that are big baddies and like <laughs> themes of human hubris, I suppose, Ooh. is kind of where I, I really like sci-fi to kind of go. So okay. a good example of this is Ex Machina, um, mm. like this kind of concept of we have control over this thing because we've built it, but... It has its own sentience and its own power. Um, another great example that I encountered recently was the film Megan, which I just got around to watching. Loved it. If you haven't gotten the chance to see it, it's a quality film. I had really low expectations going into it, and it surprised me and had me thinking about things in a new way, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, now that you mention it, after you told me you enjoyed that, I meant to tell you, you should check out The Artifice Girl. Ooh. I believe it's either a 2023 or a 2022 film. Okay. But 
it explores, I believe, some similar ideas to Megan, but in a much more like straight on serious manner. Cool. Um, perhaps in a darker manner, mm-hmm. but like really thought provoking film. I think you'd really like it. I and mean, I think yeah. it definitely fits exactly what you're talking about here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that these films are kind of a take on your classic Frankenstein's monster. Mm-hmm. I think that it's really, it can be really well done when you're also considering things like AI and modern technology. And I, I don't know, I find them fascinating. And one last example, or I guess two last examples of this are um, the television shows Fringe and X-Files. I think that they both touch on it. Fringe a lot more um, than X-Files, but um, they kind of talk about science, scientific advancement going out of control in a way that we can no longer contain. And Mm -hmm. I just think that it's, so interesting, especially with my own scientific background, it really gets me thinking about all of these kind of moral and um, philosophical questions related to science. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, man, you've got to watch Debs. <laughs> I do. I do. Okay. My number three <laughs> is a loose category, but it's any piece of media that celebrates the Beauty of the American West. <laughs> Ooh, I love this. So this is largely aesthetic, obviously, mm-hmm. but it is a thing that is incredibly salient to me whenever I'm watching anything visual, TV shows, films, whatever. Uh, as soon as a grand vista from, say, the American Rockies or, like, Utah or a beautiful picturesque piece of the American West hits the screen. I'm just like, Oh my God, the American West is a treasure. We don't deserve it. It's, (laughs) it's incredible and amazing and I cherish it and love it. Uh (laughs) So yeah, it's just, it just gives me some crazy feeling where I'm, I just feel like the American West is so beautiful and I think people know it, but also they're not appreciating mm-hmm. appreciating it as much as it deserves. It's incredible yeah. in terms of the diversity of the different types of scenery that you get there and just how cinematic it looks and how it really adds something to a story. And it adds a grandness and a beauty once they were started moving west in The Last of Us, for example, mm-hmm. earlier this year, I was thrilled. I was like, oh my god, we're finally in the American West. Show me everything. <laughs> I was so excited for that. But someone who I think has really picked up the mantle of displaying the beauty of the American West is Quentin Tarantino. He's kind of mm-hmm. picked up that John Ford mantle mm-hmm. in his more uh, modernized Western era of his filmmaking so Django Unchained obviously and The Hateful Eight uh, yeah. even in wintertime in a dead blizzard it just looks gorgeous constantly yeah. uh, another example I guess this isn't technically from this year it might have technically been from last year but the limited series The English on Amazon Prime that's a Hugo Blick hmm. series starring Emily Blunt That series, every 10 minutes, I was like, 
Oh my god, the American West is gorgeous. Look at this view, look at this framing, look at this rock formation and these trees and these mountains. <laughs> the American Rockies are incredible. Mm -hmm. So if you are into this type of thing as well, check out the English on Amazon Prime. It will not disappoint you. Um, and then other examples like the... Uh, Frontier Trilogy, Wind River is a great example oh, of this. Oh, yeah. The Cohen's Update of True Grit, that's a great one. Um, and then, yeah, obviously all of the classic westerns, all of that John Ford era, the searchers type stuff. Like, mm -hmm. it's been, it's been beautiful this whole time. And uh, filmmakers have known it. That's why westerns are so, uh, I guess, uh, to me, they're, they never get old. So mm -hmm. I just love a celebration of the beauty of the American West. Yeah. Another film that was one that you recommended to me that I want to shout because it doesn't get enough love is Bone Tomahawk. You know, and I was wondering if that's what you were going to say. <laughs> I love that film. It's great. That's definitely been a category that I've been like opening up to a little bit more because yeah. I'm very resistant to like my anti wheelhouse is like period pieces. Sure, I sure. tend to have resistance to watching them, but man, I've been really opening up to Westerns a little bit more. Yeah. I should also probably shout out the assassination of Jesse James by the coward, Robert Ford. I was just hearing about that the other day. Mm, yeah. Maybe. That's a, um, that's a fave. I think I was hearing about it on Brett Goldstein's podcast. I think Maybe. someone brought that up and I was like, ooh, I feel like I would really enjoy this. Yeah. And I would also count stuff like Nope, where you have a more yeah. deserty area, but still like gorgeous topography. Okay. We're getting into one that I had trouble ranking because it was either going to be like thematically in the middle or thematically at the front. I don't know. It's hard, okay. to, it's hard to rank this list. Sure. But my number three is one that I feel defines like most of the media I consume, I suppose. So it is paranormal horror slash found footage horror. Mm -hmm. So I love Mia haunting anything that has a ghost in a house <laughs> that's not my house. I love <laughs> 10 out of 10. The Conjuring, The Babadook, Insidious, Amityville Horror, Haunting of Hill House, Haunting of Bly Manor. Love them <laughs> all. Deeply, 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 deeply love these pieces of media. You um, love a haunting. It's so good. And it's so, like, scary to me and thought-provoking. And you can come back to them over and over again. There are also wholesome ones in this category that aren't necessarily horror, like Casper and Beetlejuice. <laughs> um, I just love a haunted house, man. I guess that's what number three should be called, haunted houses. Haunted um, houses. But then specifically within this category, I appreciate things like found footage horror. So Paranormal Activity and The Last Exorcism are two of like my favorite found footage examples. Um, yeah, I feel like that's a perfect intersection of these things. Yeah. Um, and then also let's throw Blair Witch in there. Sure. Just such a fun watch. It's not really about ghosts, but man, it's a 10 out of 10 film. Um, Groundbreaking. <laughs> so, so good. Um, but yeah, definitely 
If you like ghosts in houses, check out any of the films that I just said. And one thing that I love about movies like The Conjuring and The Babadook is they are these like mass market productions that just, I think they did it well and they did it in an interesting way and it appealed to a wide audience, maybe not as much to critics, but I just think that it, they're underappreciated, and I think that they're quite good. So check them out. <laughs> <laughs> the Shining, um, yeah, I is another that is example. A haunting, isn't it? It's many hauntings, mm-hmm. hauntings of a hotel. Oh yeah, that's my kind of haunted house. Uh huh. Yeah, two girls, one ghost. The podcast, yes, another one of my favorites. Oh, speaking of which, they're going on tour. Mm-hmm. And I bought tickets to see them in New York. Fun. I'm very excited. It's like right before my birthday. So nice. They, their whole tour is themed because they spent a night in the Conjuring house. And, oh, that's a uh, thing. Yeah, I guess. Um, if you're well known enough in the ghosty community, I suppose you get to stay there. Um, terrifying, but I can't wait to hear everything they have to say about it. Wow. Good for them. That's awesome. I know. Because I was so disappointed to not be able to see them in New Jersey earlier this year because they Mm. were in the town that I'll be living in. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like I'm missing out on my one chance to see these gals and Mm -hmm. I get to see them. So I'm really excited about it. (laughs) Cool. And it'll be during spooky season. So it'll be extra good. I know. I love spooky season. (laughs) Get ready for spooky town. (laughs) Oh boy, are you ready for my number two wheelhouse? Okay, so this one is a type of character wheelhouse. Perfect. My number two media wheelhouse is a character who was once an expert in a field and has chosen to withdraw from society. <laughs> Ooh. So very specific wheelhouse. Yeah. But it's like an instant lock for me to love and respect that character. Uh-huh. A prime, prime, prime example of this is Nick Cage's character in Pig. So oh, yes. he was formerly formerly a very successful chef and decided he elected to withdraw from society and live in a shack in the woods with his pig and just have a simple life as a hermit, the type of life I aspire to. <laughs> I think this is why I like this type of character so much, uh-huh. but that character is exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Another great example of this is Donald Pleasance's character in Awaken Fright. Uh huh. He is a former medical doctor who has elected to live in a shack <laughs> in the Australian <laughs> outback and care for the townspeople <laughs> in the Yava. <laughs> okay. And just be a really cool dude while he does it. <laughs> Love that. Um, a kind of pseudo more modern version of that, in my mind, emotionally, is Robin Williams's character in Goodwill Hunting. So oh. you know him as the roommate to the really like important mathematician guy who is mentoring Will Hunting. Mm-hmm. And they were roommates in college and Robin Williams got married and decided to teach community college instead of pursuing some type of like academic accolades type of life and decided to have a happy life instead with his students and his wife. And I 
really liked his rendition of that. I think Mm -hmm. that's one of the best uh, supporting characters of all time that I neglected to include on my supporting characters top five, and I've always regretted. So (laughs) I count him in this category as well. And uh, another example of this would be the sword maker in Kill Bill, uh, the person that the bride goes to to get her special katana sword. Uh, We talk about Kill Bill so much on this podcast, and every time it comes up, I'm like, I gotta watch those movies again. Yeah, I mean, there's just so many um, really salient characters Mm -hmm. that they end up coming up as an example of something, Mm -hmm. no matter what we're talking about. But yeah, this is generally a category of character that I really love. Like a person who has the wherewithal and skill and intelligence to master something and still choose to walk away from it because their preference is to have a life of solitude or a life outside of the rat race or some other type of life where they aren't beholden to that extreme talent or skill. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. That's a Good pick. I love that. That's a Thank great you. pick. <laughs> it's very niche. Yeah. It's very good, though. My number two is also a character trait that I really enjoy. Um, I am a sucker for a forgiveness or redemption arc for a character, so a redeemable character. And I think some great examples of this are Royal from the Royal Tenenbaums. I like love all of the moments of reconciliation and forgiveness in that movie. I find them so satisfying and lovely. And I think that there's really something to be said for a second chance and not judging people too soon or like letting people prove themselves to you. And I just like, I love that. Um, Another example is Jamie Tart from Ted Lasso. <laughs> absolutely adore that character and if you remember the first time we did an update i was like jamie tart is my ex-boyfriend and i hate him and you were very <laughs> much like upset, that but he like turned into one of my favorite characters from the show and it was such a lovely experience to see him grow and also kind of grow with him like grow yeah. out of my preconceived preconceived notions about that character and what he would be and I loved that I thought it was so fun (laughs) um uh and then another one that comes to mind I know that there are more but for some reason I couldn't think of more examples of this but another one that comes to mind for me is uh two characters from Game of Thrones the Hound and also Jamie Lannister yeah um I think they're both characters that have kind of a redemption arc going through the series so yeah i enjoy that um also i would even include like sam and sadie from tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow in that because i think that there are unlikable characteristics that you start out with that they both grow to kind of overcome in their friendship and i like i think that was one of the reasons i like that book so much even the professor character from that book. Um, yeah, Dov. Dov. Like, there are multiple points in that book where I was like, Dov's a piece of shit. I hope Dov <laughs> dies. He <laughs> sucks. Um, but then at the end of the book, I ended up being like, Dov's just a person. And I think that that's what you realize when you 
watch a redemption arc where you're like, they're just a person. They're doing yeah. their best. And we're all growing. So Absolutely. That's a fun one. <laughs> all right. Are you ready for my number one? I'm so ready. I'm so excited. Okay. I've elected to call this category... The descent is the juice, which means that <laughs> I love a, a story where a descent into madness is the marquee feature, <laughs> ideally of one select character. <laughs> so I'm talking about the lighthouse, wake and fright, there will be blood, infinity pool, tar, oh pearl, after hours. I want to watch a character go through a gauntlet of scenarios that drives them insane and causes them to detach from their own humanity. There's something so compelling (laughs) about the descent and what it says about that character and humanity at large. I could watch all of those forever. I don't know what that means, but I absolutely love to see it. (laughs) Oh, man. I hate to see it. I I mean, that's why we're you and me, man. Amazing. Yeah, that's absolutely, that does not surprise me at all that that's on your list. I love that. Yeah, there's just watching a person unravel, seeing the things that are causing them to unravel and how it manifests in their behavior and choices. Yeah. I love it. I mean, I love Daniel Plainview. I would watch him Man, forever. There will be blood. Is <laughs> I would watch him forever. Oh man, yeah, yeah that's a great I, category. That's a great number thank one. You. That's my <laughs> number one. That's me. Yeah. <laughs> Here I am. Here I am. It's the descent. Um, my number one. I've elected to call grumpy protagonists. <laughs> So this is your Roy Kent's of the world. Yeah. Uh, your murder bot. Um, mm-hmm. Joel from The Last of Us. Geralt. Geralt. <laughs> Geralt. Oh, no. You got me I'm saying it wrong you. now. Geralt from The Witcher. The ghost from The Ghost and Mrs. Muir, which is like a throwback to episode like three or four or something. That's an early shout. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, which I grew up watching, Mr. Darcy from Pride and Prejudice. Ooh, classic. Amazing. Um, I was, like, really into Pride and Prejudice in high school. Great example. Um, And then, more recently, I've elected to put January and Gus from Beach Read into this category, because I... Definitely Gus, yeah. I feel like January is a little cranky, too, and I love that about her. Mm -hmm. I relate to that about her, and... I support a cranky woman too. So, Um, but yeah, I just find these protagonists like really endearing and (laughs) fun to explore. Um, I think they've got a lot of quirks and character traits that I see in myself a little bit um, internally. And I also think that this can overlap with a redeemable character as well. It's kind of a character that you have an impression of at the start of a film or book, and then you grow to learn more about them, and it kind of changes the way you view their character traits. Absolutely. Um, And it turns them into, like, this lovable um, person that you just feel so close to. I love that. Did you have any honorable mentions? 
I had one that I could think of. Okay. And it's kind of, it's pretty general, but I love it when we get a team together. <laughs> you when do you like, love it when we get a team together. <laughs> assemble a team, preferably pretty ragtag. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm talking Jaws, Nope, Ocean's Eleven. I just love getting the get the gang together. Twister? <laughs> oh, what a team. I can't wait to talk about that team. <laughs> Um, I love it. It's Jurassic great. Park. What a feeling. Has a good yeah. team. Love that team. team. Love that team. Get the team together, everybody. You got any HMs? Uh, my HM is one that's a recent discovery for me, but something that I've been like diving into pretty deeply. It's feel good romances. Um, yeah. and so this is like Emily Henry. I just read Julia Whalen's book, Thank You for Listening, which I adored. Um, love Julia. I loved The Dead Romantics. I know I read something else though. Oh, um, Potted Don't, um, which right. is a, a ballet romance. Amazing. But I've just been like really diving into this relatively unexplored uh, field for me. And I mean, I just really like feeling good. I'm in a place of pretty extreme burnout right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, just having something that I can go to that will reliably make me feel happy things. And just like the world isn't so big and the world isn't so pressing, I guess. Uh, Mm -hmm. It just feels really nice. And, um, there are just like so many good love stories out there. Sleepless in Seattle. I've been like even diving into movie forms of this. But yeah. Yeah. I think that there's just a lot out there that can make you feel good when you're down. I think you are really gonna like Red, White, and Royal Blue. I'm very excited about it. I was recommending that to you the other day as the king of feel good romance. <laughs> No pun intended. It just simply is. <laughs> yeah. Um, I listened to a little sample of the audiobook and I liked the narrator. So mm-hmm. I'm excited for that to come in on Libby. I'm trying yeah. not to go back to Audible yet. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, and I just restarted Book Lovers the other day. I told you <laughs> that. It's like, I finished Julia Whalen's book and I was like, listen, I gotta have more Julia. I gotta yeah. listen to more of her wonderful voice. God, she's good. Yeah. Is there anything you think I'm missing from my list that you were maybe expecting? Um, I was expecting more like crime drama type mm-hmm. stuff because you're a big fan of like true detective and the sinner true. and yeah. things like that. So I simply I was love of- detection. <laughs> A mystery, uh, like uh, Ruth Galloway, maybe, yeah. kind of stuff. Um, That's a yeah. great point. That is definitely something that piques my interest, certainly. Yeah. Love some detection. <laughs> I thought you might have Cozy Mystery on yours. Yeah. So I did, on the first draft of this list, I had Domestic Mystery mm-hmm. on here, which um, is a term that I've come up with. Um, to describe books that are like a thriller, but are focused less on like the detection aspect of things, but more on like the interpersonal lives of the people uncovering the mystery, such as Big Little Lies, 
Mm. Uh, the Guest List by Lucy Foley, mm-hmm. um, The Paris Apartment, which I didn't like as much as The Guest List, but was still a solid novel. Um, even um, my recent read, If We Were Villains. Um, Oof, I love that book. That's not necessarily domestic in the same sense, but it's kind of the same energy of like, you're uncovering a whodunit from the perspective of a small, insulated group of people yes. who don't know who to trust. And it's amazing. Love that book. I love those kinds. Yeah, that's a great point. But yes, also a cozy mystery is something that I love. But I just haven't been delving into that as much recently. Yeah, I mean, you gotta... I feel like it's more of a winter mood for me. Where like, when I'm cold, I want to like read something relaxing or Mm -hmm. like tense but still cozy i don't know yeah i mean you just follow follow your emotional flow go with whatever feels good now i was having a really hard time coming up with stuff for this list dude i was like uh as soon as you assigned it like a month ago i spent like a day thinking about it and then i was like bam 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 these are all my five (laughs) wow (laughs) yeah amazing yeah well i think this was an excellent exercise in yeah allowing the the listener further insight into our for sure the taste of our hearts (laughs) (laughs) i can't believe we've been doing this for a year now i know it feels great it's like crazy perfect timing for the peak of movie summer too i can't wait it's so exciting well happy one year happy one year cat Thanks for doing this with me. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for joining us this week on Friend Diagram. Thank you to Tyler Seek for the creation of our intro and outro music. Did you take any of our recommendations? Have any thoughts on the show? Let us know at frienddiagrampod at gmail.com, and we might read your email on a future episode. If you can, please take a moment to rate and review the show on your podcast app of choice, and we'll see you back here, same place, next week. Bye for now.